Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Topical Brainstorm. I'm Christian. I'm here with Garrett. Hello, everybody. Hello. And we are still going through the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I feel like it's been a very interesting book. I agree. And uh, we probably use the word interesting too often. But whatever. You should find a synonym. We're amateurs. <clears throat> Intriguing. <laughs> That's, yeah. Anyway, chapter seven today, titled The Ethnic History, no, The Ethnic Theory of Plane Crashes. I'll let you get into it, Garrett. Okay. <clears throat> so The Ethnic Theory of Plane Crashes. This chapter is about how different cultures... So this whole part of this, the, the second part of this book is about the cultural reasons why people are the way they are. And you can track a lot of things back to people's cultural heritage. And Malcolm decided to track back plane crashes and figure out why certain cultures, um, specifically why certain countries have higher plane, amounts of plane crashes than other countries. And he wanted to know if there was an ethnic reason behind, or a, a cultural reason behind that. And he found some. For instance, cultures where there's a high respect for authority tend to have higher plane crashes, which is interesting because the U.S. had a, was one of the lowest on that. The lowest. <laughs> the lowest. And why is that so, Christian? Well, he starts off by telling a couple stories of plane crashes. Specifically, he targets Korean Air, South Korean Airline, and how from the decade between 1988 to 1998, they were 17 times more likely to crash on a flight than United Airlines. <clears throat> Which is scary. That's just a cr <laughs> like that makes me. Back then, I would not have gotten on one of those planes. Yeah, they talked about how the prime minister or president of Korea was like, "Hey, you need to trust these guys," and then he instantly switched <laughs> <laughs> the flight, um, the flight line or the airline that he used, which is hilarious. But the reason behind that that he kind of gets into, it comes down to. Like Garrett said, their respect for authority, but also the way they communicate, which those two things are related. But he talked about how, <clears throat> the, well, the concept of mitigated speech is what he got into and how essentially how direct the subordinates were with the boss when they had an opinion or they thought he was making a mistake. And listening back to these recordings of the, the black box on these plane crashes <clears throat> or from the controller, you could hear the co-pilot saying stuff like just very vague, but obviously giving very subtle hints yeah, to like the pilot. Making vague suggestions on thought, what they should do. Well, you and I thought it was vague, right? Yeah. Because we're, we have, we, America, United States is low on the power index. So we don't really understand why he said the way that he said things the way he did, but he would just say things like, oh, it's really cloudy or something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, that storm looks kind of bad. 
But in Korea, they, and this was something also very interesting. He got into how in Western communication, it's called a transmitter orientation. So it's on the responsibility. It's on the speaker. The speaker has the responsibility to get his point across. But in Eastern cultures, it's called a receiver orientation. So the listener has the responsibility to understand what's being said. And uh, that in combination with the fact that Koreans have real respect for their superiors led them to mitigate their speech way too much in these situations. And if the pilot was a little tired, a little not focused, he wouldn't pick up on these things. And that led to a huge increase in chance of, of a crash, or yeah. a plane crash. Which is interesting, because usually, usually it's fine even... He talks about how there needs to be four or five different things that go wrong before a plane will crash. Usually it's tiredness, there's a problem with the plane, uh, there's three other things... <laughs> I can read them off. Oh, there he talks go. about how in 52% of the crashes, the pilot has been awake for over 12 hours. Usually the weather is poor. Usually they're in a hurry because they're behind schedule. 44% of crashes, the two pilots have never flown together before. And typically there are seven consecutive human errors that lead to a crash. And they're almost always errors of teamwork and communication. Yeah. So it's not just one thing that causes a problem. It's an accumulation of many different things, which is unfortunate that crashes still happen even though it takes these five to seven things to go wrong. But he, he mentions how cultures where, cultures where there's a high authority... Um, index what's it called the power distance index yeah the power dis distance index uh, these are cultures where typically there are a lot of where authority figures are seen as higher just because uh, they have authority whether they be older or whether they're more experienced they have authority over those that are less experienced or younger or he he specifically with Korean Air, the younger pilot would bow to the older pilot and the older pilot did pretty much everything and the younger pilot just did whatever he said. That was his job, to do whatever the older pilot said. And this causes problems when you're flying because there needs to be two people there to catch mistakes and to, to fix things. And the U.S. is really good at being blunt and just saying, hey, this is an issue, we need to fix it, and then the pilots fix it together. There's no, as far as, I don't, there's is there's probably a senior captain or something, but they don't have any authority over the other guy, from my understanding of this book. Yeah, and I don't think that in Korean Air's company policies, that one had that kind of authority over the other, but culturally... Yes. Right. That's what really created the distance between them. Um, another example was Colombia, which was ranked pretty close to South America on that power distance index. 
And there was one crash that happened when a, a Colombian pilot and co-pilot were flying into LaGuardia or one of the New York airports. And <clears throat> on the transmission, there was an air traffic controller who was just very blunt and very New York, very, very New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. And the Colombian pilots were like running out of fuel, but they were just like, oh, we're running low on fuel. And then the air traffic controller was just like, okay, we'll do a loop and come back. Yeah. And they were just like, okay, we're running low on fuel though. But that was, they weren't any more specific than that. They weren't like, no, we don't have enough fuel to make the loop and come back. We're going to crash. Because yeah. all they really had to say was that. But because of the abrasiveness of the New Yorker and also the just how Colombians respect authority and they felt like that person was in authority that led to a crash a bunch of people died right and and all this kind of comes down to these cultural differences that are just pretty wild I guess when you mix cultures like that yeah and in addition to that um he talks about how Korean Air fixed these issues because today Korean Air is one of the safest. Top notch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what they did was they hired a guy named David Greenberg to come in. And what he did was first he made all of the Korean workers speak in English to get them out of kind of that cultural atmosphere. And that's also the language people use all around the world, air traffic controllers. That's just the language of flight. So he used that tactic to kind of get them out of those tendencies. He trained them not to mitigate their speech, so just be more direct. <clears throat> and I don't remember if there was something else, but I think what I got out of this chapter was just that there are, despite the fact that I have my own personality, there are definitely cultural tendencies, whether that's our country or my family compared to other families. Whatever it is, there are cultures that I'm a part of that certainly dictate a lot of things, especially the way I communicate, both verbally and just all of the nonverbal communication, that is probably interpreted very differently than I think it is by other people. And, uh, that's just something I want to be more aware of, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's or, a good thing to be aware of. It's really, uh, we say this word a lot, but it is interesting. interesting. It's intriguing yeah. <laughs> that uh, there are these cultural differences and that they you can trace a lot of things back to these cultural differences, such as plane crashes. It just kind of blows my mind. Something I never would have thought would have thought of. Yeah. Um, cause like, and it makes a lot of sense. The U.S. we're like super direct. Especially the Eastern East Coast. Oh, East Coast. <laughs> yeah. Like I've never even been over there. I've just heard stories, <laughs> and uh, I've heard a lot of comedians making fun of New Yorkers, <laughs> which is always fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't really have anything left to add. Um. One fun fact that I thought was interesting was that due to all these things, planes are actually a lot safer when the least experienced pilot is flying. Because that means the second pilot or the co-pilot 
who's actually more experienced probably feels less of that power distance, right? No matter what culture he's from, mm -hmm. and he's more likely to speak up, which I thought was cool. And then I would also like to discuss a little more the uh, the difference in communication between Eastern and Western cultures. That concept of a transmitter orientation oriented language versus a receiver oriented language is really interesting. That is really interesting. Why do you? I mean, you... intriguing. Sorry. <laughs> Why do you think it is that way? I mean, this is interesting because if you put it in this <clears throat> context, like when you're texting and you're younger and you're texting. Girl, someone you're attracted to let's say that <laughs> you that is we're in this transmitter um language where it's on the person communicating to get their point across but when you receive a text you read into that so many different ways true and it becomes a receiver oriented context yeah. or language which is really interesting to me that's just like a dating game that yeah people play though <laughs> so glad that's over <laughs> yeah that was a rough time yeah i just i'd never really even thought about that concept though of like whose responsibility is it to understand yeah and i i mean i have in individual conversations that i've had with my wife or with whoever where it's like, no, I meant this. Oh, I thought you meant this. It's like, well, yeah. whose fault is that? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's your fault. <laughs> but to have like a whole country of of people who think it's their responsibility to like listen and understand, like done right. And I think Malcolm Gladwell kind of makes this point that that's a pretty beautiful thing. Like if everyone did that, if everyone did both, right? If everyone took the responsibility to be understood and to understand yeah that would solve probably a lot of problems <laughs> yeah I, I think so too it'd say it'd save a lot of well that's like one of the biggest challenges in in life you know in, in marriage or wherever you're at is just communicating yeah like that would solve so many issues I feel like but how do you how do you do that though like how would you break people out of whatever culture they're in like how would you get somebody <clears throat> i mean going back to how do well, we i think friends... we all need to learn chinese like, that <laughs> needs to be the one language that we speak in this world huh interesting and why i think that you'll find out next episode just you know a little teaser yes <laughs> i don't know though a real answer i don't know obviously there's probably not going to be some big change where everyone's going to change at the same time. But on a personal level, just kind of understanding that there are those two different ways to, to treat communication, I feel like it's something I want to keep in my head. Yeah. I also feel like, never mind, you were going to say something. My well, thing was very much a tangent, so go ahead. I was just going <clears> to <throat> say that thinking back to how to win friends and influence people, a good way to get your point across is to have people respect you and have them be your friend. And you do that by 
you know, being interested in them, uh, asking clarifying questions about whatever it may be uh, when you don't understand something. And I think a good way to practice that is by asking people clarifying questions about themselves when you're trying to make friends with them, you know? But that's really the only idea I have. Yeah, that is a good idea. I think all you can really do is strive to communicate clearly Yeah. in all situations. Yeah. Which I feel like this podcast has helped me just because I have to talk more. Yeah. Instead of sit at my desk crunching numbers crunching on numbers. Excel sheet my whole life. I will join you. <laughs> so there's that on the one hand, and then there's when I'm the one listening in a conversation, I should also look at it as if I have the responsibility to understand, like you said, and ask those clarifying questions. Yeah. Because if, if you personally are working on both sides of that, then in general, your communication and your understanding of others' communication is just going to improve, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I need to work on is communicating clearly. I read an article the other day that was Warren Buffett's advice to young people, and it is to learn to write and speak clearly so you will be understood, which I think generally I do a decent job of that, but then sometimes I say things and I think to myself, that just, that didn't make any sense. So, Yeah, it's been a a rude awakening since we record ourselves talk now once in a while. I do think that (laughs) this podcast has helped greatly, yeah. Yeah. But anything else to add? No, I don't think so. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. 